This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. The Wisdom and Purpose of Suffering To the modern mind, nothing is worse than suffering. We go to great lengths to avoid it and to drug ourselves to dull it when it comes our way. This short-sighted attitude does great harm. God uses our sufferings to make us stronger, to keep us from temptation, to purify us. The founder of the international TFP, Professor Plenio Correa de la Vera, introduces this episode of the Return to Order moment with the wisdom based on St. John Vianney in his article, How the Cure of Ours Shows That You Can Benefit from Suffering. This text was taken from a meeting of Professor Plenio's on August 8, 1967. It has been slightly adapted and edited for publication. The book, The Spirit of the Cure of Ours, by Father Alfred Munnan, contains the catechism classes, homilies, and conversations of St. John Vianney. One passage speaks about how to see suffering as a privilege. The Cure of Ours says, Some people do not love God or pray to Him, and yet they prosper. When this happens, it is a bad sign. It means these people did a few good things amid many bad things. God rewards these small good deeds in this life. Sometimes we say that God punishes those he loves. However, this statement is not always true. For those whom God loves, trials are not punishments. They are graces. Unquote. This passage summarizes the great principle of Catholic doctrine that suffering is an indispensable means of approaching God. It is indispensable for two reasons. The first is because God wants us, for the good of our souls, to complete that small bit of suffering that He wanted to be missing from His passion. The second reason is because man is conceived in original sin and therefore needs to suffer. We have a permanent source of disorder in us. We have unbridled and bad appetites coming from our disordered and fallen nature. Our human nature constantly asks for objectionable things. Thus, we want what belongs to others. We do what we should not do and think about that which we should not think. We are always invited to act in this manner. Suffering is the way to eliminate these disordered appetites found in our nature. Suffering breaks a certain exuberance that caters to this bad side of nature. This bad exuberance makes us pretentious, pampered, arrogant, petulant, and demanding. When we suffer, we learn to be content with little. We become affective, understanding, and humble. When we start suffering, it eats away at our soul's bad tendencies so that they gradually disappear and wane. We can then improve. Imagine an extremely sensitive man with an unbearable temperament who becomes resentful at the least thing. He only concerns himself with being at the center of things and showing off. Imagine him experiencing a physical suffering. Suddenly, he senses an intense pain in his leg. He finds himself moaning in pain 15 hours a day, saying, Oh, I can't bear it anymore. Please come and help me. 
Please come and keep me company by talking a little with me. Bring me an object I need. Help me with something I need done. For God's sake, have pity on me. Is it not true that after six months, this person's bad temperament would be broken? He would be put through the ringer. By dint of his groaning and suffering, he learned that truth which human nature conceived in original sin detests. We do not like to hear that an ordinary, normal life without great pleasures is already a great thing. Such a man can already call himself happy. Unfortunately, life is such a veil of tears that we continuously seek instead for extraordinary conditions of existence, such as great fortunes, consideration, or whatever we want. When this happens, we become imbalanced. For example, a man who has secured all his necessities will often begin to daydream. He might imagine a bed that allows him to sleep with the utmost comfort, with a special kind of mattress and all sorts of accessories. He would consider this happiness. However, when a normal night of sleep is taken from him because of suffering, he recalls how wonderful it is to sleep without pain. He says to himself, Oh, how good that was! I am now the only one who will spend the night moaning. Everyone in this house goes to sleep normally, and I alone will spend the whole night groaning. What a great thing a painless night is! Since he suffered so much, he begins to understand the enormous value of regular sleep and a standard bed. This realization is the beginning of temperance. It is the ground floor of temperance. Another example might be a man who daydreams about making fabulous trips who attend magnificent events. In the past, certain people would open a newspaper and read, quote, Fly to Persia for the coronation of the Shah, unquote. The trip would cost many thousands of dollars. The person, who had not even one thousand dollars, thinks to himself of how he might get the money by selling his car, paying in installments, or going into debt. In the end, he does not go to the event and is therefore unhappy. On the day of the Shah of Persia's coronation, he lies in bed, sulking because he could not live up to his daydream of going to the event. That person well deserves a few hard knocks. If this poor man breaks his leg and spends six months in a wheelchair, he soon realizes that the greatest happiness is not watching the coronation of the Shah of Persia, but going for a walk in a garden. As he sits there in his chair, he thinks how delightful it would be to only get to the corner and watch the passers-by in the street. Thus, he begins to acquire a little wisdom. Our extravagances, whims, and crazes are broken in this manner through suffering. These trials and failures are indispensable. Without them, we do not live well. Curiously, the need for the moral sufferings of the soul is very similar to what happens to the body. A body that never makes any effort suffers. For example, Take the image of a Middle Eastern pasha that lives in the middle of cushions, who never moves, and spends all of his time smoking a water pipe and eating those brightly colored sweets while lying on a terrace. We might think, what a delightful life this pasha leads. 
That is an illusion. Because of his inaction, the Pasha suffers all kinds of organic disorders. He lives between two hellish alternatives. If he moves around, he suffers from doing something that disturbs his immobile comfort. If he remains inactive, he feels horrible because it is bad for his health. So he finds himself between violence and illness. As a result, his health will decline and he will die early. The human body needs a certain amount of violence or exercise to feel well. The same is true of the soul. The soul needs suffering. If we do not suffer, we end up looking for it. There is something in our souls whereby we suffer when we do not suffer. Lack of suffering causes a kind of nausea with everything around us. This discomfort is a punishment for those to whom God does not send crosses. Thus, the holy cure of ours very true and just thoughts on the importance of suffering is something that we always must keep in mind. This is the end of How the Cure of Ours Shows That You Can Benefit from Your Suffering. The current disorder in our society has brought many new forms of suffering. Some of these are common, like the boredom that comes from not being able to leave the house. Others are extraordinary, like the suffering that visited the Queen of Peace Catholic Church in Ocala, Florida. Mr. Norman Fulkerson, who often attends that parish, explores this experience in his article, Restoration of Order at Queen of Peace After Firebombing. Parishioners of Queen of Peace Catholic Church in Ocala, Florida, were met with a disturbing scene as they arrived for Mass on the morning of Saturday, July 11, 2020. Police cars blocked the entrance, and the parking lot was chock full of fire trucks with flashing lights. Their beloved church was the target for an act of arson that made headlines nationwide. Naturally, their hearts were heavy. However, before the sun set, they could find solace with the efficiency of parish employees and the Catholic men who re-established order. They were also left in awe at a truly miraculous occurrence. It all began at around 7.30 a.m., when a white minivan drove up to the front of the church, made a sharp U-turn, and then rammed through the right entrance doors. The driver then got out of the car and poured 10 gallons of gasoline in the vestibule as a lady parishioner looked on in shock. The alleged arsonist, Stephen A. Shields, who was reported to have later confessed that he committed the crime to the police, then re-entered his vehicle. As he backed his van out, he threw a flaming object which ignited the fuel and caused an explosion. Father Patrick O'Doherty, the pastor of Queen of Peace, witnessed the entire scene and immediately called 911. The quick response of the heroic firefighters five minutes later prevented greater loss. Nevertheless, the vestibule was severely damaged and will need to be completely renovated. This event created disorder where order once reigned. Those are the bare facts that surrounded this criminal act. Some lessons can be learned from this event and the parish's response that day. Many have pointed out the irony that such destruction should happen in a parish named Queen of Peace. Such disorderly acts should not surprise us in a world that has long ceased to recognize God's law. Peace is not just the absence of violence, but rather, as St. Augustine eloquently explains, the tranquility of order. 
We should obey God's law, not because it pleases us, but because they are true laws that ought to be observed. Society can then enjoy the real idea of peace that naturally comes from order. When divine law is consistently transgressed, disorder enters. According to the police reports, the suspect at Queen of Peace was deranged. At the writing of this article, there is no proof that he was linked with the lawlessness nationwide. However, his actions do reflect the unbridled passions and unbalance of a sector of society that has long denied God's law. In times like these, order-loving Americans shine. They seem to come out of the woodwork when they are actually always in our midst. We just don't recognize their contribution to the good functioning of civilized society. The parishioners of Queen of Peace saw people step up to the plate immediately after the fire. The church's employees went above and beyond their functions. Generous men came forward, motivated only by their love for the church, good order, and charity toward their neighbors. They immediately worked to board up the doors that were destroyed and make ready the church hall for the scheduled 4 p.m. Mass. Except for the canceled 8.30 a.m. Mass, parish life went on as if nothing ever happened. Those same men and others stood watch over all the weekend Masses for the comfort and safety of worshipers. This solicitude helped quell the psychological fear that such terrifying acts create in their victims. Ocala's residents are a unique brand of Floridian. They are fiercely patriotic, law-abiding citizens who are also keenly aware of their Second Amendment rights and are capable of exercising lawful self-defense. This might be seen in a 70-something-year-old lady with sky-blue eyes or others like her with twinkles in their eyes and tight-lipped determination on their faces. One never knows what they are capable of. But one can surmise that if their husbands are in trouble, they will be able to fill the breach. While they are some of the most charming people you will ever want to meet, their friendliness should not be interpreted as a weakness. Queen of Peace parishioners, both men and women, were upbeat and confident after an event that might have made others cower. This is due largely to a pastor who is truly a man's man and cares about his flock. Such people as these draw down God's blessings and the protection of His holy angels and glorious saints. These blessings could be seen in the miraculous preservation of the church's relics displayed in the vestibule. Dominic Joseph Galatolo, a full-time member of the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP, noted this wonder when he entered the damaged church. He had just returned from a cross-country trip with other TFP members in a special campaign to pray for America's return to order with rosary rallies in every state capital. At the time of the incident, he was visiting family and thus helped his father, also called Dominic, to restore peace to this shattered parish. Dominic Joseph was surprised to see amid the charred walls the framed pictures of two Carmelite daughters of the prophet Elias. St. Therese of the Infant Jesus, and St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. Each picture contained a first-class relic. Both were unscathed. 
Dominic Joseph was astonished to see the document of authentication of the relic of St. Elizabeth lying spotless atop a pile of ashes. This piece of paper was left perfectly intact and has now become a veritable relic itself because of the divine protection from an otherwise all-consuming fire. These two relics were not the only ones that were preserved. Many others were hanging on the wall, including a relic of America's first canonized saint, Elizabeth Ann Seton. All were saved from the fire by the hand of Almighty God. These holy treasures were a few feet away from what seemed to be the epicenter of the fire. The story does not end there. The night before this fire occurred, Mr. Galatolo enjoyed a dinner with some of his employees at a nearby restaurant. He noticed a group of police officers and took the opportunity to give them all a St. Michael's medal for their protection. He then thanked them for their service and left the restaurant. He was surprised the following morning to find one of those officers on the crime scene. They exchanged greetings amid the ruin and then went about their business. On Sunday morning, Dominic Joseph saw another officer approach the charred entrance to Queen of Peace. He was not Catholic but wanted to see if everything was okay. He was the officer who arrested the arson suspect. Dominic Joseph apologized for not having a St. Michael's medal to give him. No problem, the officer responded. I always have one on my dashboard. It's not on this squad car because I used my other car in a pit maneuver to crash into the criminal's car. It is being repaired. The fire at Queen of Peace in Ocala, Florida, is a shining example for those suffering nationwide from the lawlessness that has engulfed our great nation. Great, yes, because there are still Americans who love order and are willing to sacrifice themselves and their time to restore genuine peace to society. This act of wanton destruction might appear to be a crooked line, but Catholics know that God often uses such things to make the way straight for a marvelous return to order. This is the end of Restoration of Order at Queen of Peace After Firebombing by Norman Fulkerson. Even though the miraculous preservation of the relics at the Queen of Peace is a modern miracle, similar events have taken place throughout the Christian era. Edwin Benson explores three such events in his article, When Prayer Proved Powerful Against Plague. Public officials dealing with the coronavirus have forgotten one measure, the importance of prayers. Such a consideration is discarded by a secular society that does not believe that God can act upon the nature that he created. They see prayer as ineffective. History proves otherwise. The Church recorded countless cases of individuals and societies that were saved by the power of prayer. Modernity has preferred to adore science as a new god that can do all things. The recent statements of two very public figures reflect this secular attitude. One such remark came from Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York. He was indirectly congratulating himself for his efforts to slow down the virus. The day after Easter, he said, quote, the number is down because we brought the number down. God did not do that. Fate did not do that. Destiny did not do that. A lot of pain and suffering did that. Unquote. The second statement came from Chicago's Cardinal Blaise Supich. In an interview with a local TV station, Cardinal Supich said, quote, 
God doesn't allow us to have a religion into a magic formula where we say a prayer and think things are going to go away. We have to make sure we keep each other safe, unquote. He gave his opinion about the best way to deal with the crisis, quote, Human solidarity is something we need to rely on in this moment, unquote. These statements are troubling, especially during this crisis. They discourage the role of God and prayer when they are most needed. They also show how far modern society has fallen. Public officials would do well to look back to the wisdom of the past and reclaim the power of humility, penance, and prayer. Holy Mother Church offers cures that go far beyond Cardinal Supich's quote-unquote human solidarity. Church history is full of stories when prayer proved powerful against plague. Three cases will serve to illustrate what can happen when a fervent people appeal to God. Miracle number one, Pope St. Gregory and St. Michael the Archangel. In the year 590, Rome was a plague-ravaged shell of its former self. Civil authority was almost non-existent. An earthquake made life even more tenuous. The area was split between Catholics, followers of the Arian heresy, and pagans. On February 7th, 590, Pope Pelagius II perished. His successor was Pope St. Gregory the Great. The new pope organized a procession around the city on April 25th. Small processions began in various parts of the city and marched toward the church of St. Mary Major. There, Pope Gregory waited, holding a miraculous image of the Blessed Mother painted by St. Luke. As the procession passed the tomb of the Emperor Hadrian, all of the participants saw the Archangel Michael on top of the massive tomb, sheathing a flaming sword. The crowd broke into prayer. Queen of heaven, rejoice! Alleluia! Son whom you merited to bear! Alleluia! He has risen as he said! Alleluia! The air cleared and the plague ended. Hadrian's castle-like tomb was rechristened Castel Sant'Angelo. A statue of St. Michael was placed on the roof of the building. It remains there as a reminder to the city of its deliverance. Miracle number two, St. Rocco. St. Rocco was a French nobleman born about the year 1340. Orphaned as a child, Rocco gave away his possessions and went on a pilgrimage to Rome. He had nearly reached the Eternal City when he passed through plague-infested Aquapendente. He spent the next several weeks caring for the sick and dying until he contracted the disease. He retired to a cave, fed by a miraculously occurring spring and bread brought to him by a dog. After recovering, he continued to travel through Italy and died shortly after returning to France. After his death, he rapidly gained a reputation for miraculous cures. Shortly after St. Rocco's death, Italy was ravaged by a series of cholera infestations, and many found cures by appealing to him. In 1414, the Council of Constance was threatened when the plague arrived in the city. The local bishop ordered processions in honor of St. Rocco, and the outbreak ceased. From that point on, St. Rocco's fame increased greatly, and he was venerated over a wide area for centuries for his intercession in time of pestilence. This prayer invoking his aid is especially appropriate in this time of coronavirus. O great St. Rocco! 
deliver us, we beseech you, from contagious diseases and the contagion of sin. Obtain for us a purity of heart, which will assist us to make good use of health and to bear sufferings in patience. Teach us to follow your example in the practice of penance and charity, so that we may one day enjoy the happiness of being with Christ, our Savior, in heaven. Amen. Miracle number three. Consecrating Marseille to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. On May 25, 1720, the ship Grand Saint Antoine docked in Marseille, France, with a load of fabric and silk from the Asiatic city of Sidon and eight dead crewmen. At the time, Marseille was impoverished, and the decision was made to allow the ship to dock because of the value of its cargo. The plague that had killed the eight men spread to the city. Over the next year, the death toll was massive. The plague showed no signs of passing. In June 1721, the Bishop of Marseille decided to consecrate the city to Our Lord's Sacred Heart. A large outdoor altar was built on the coast near the port. By July, the bishop persuaded the local magistrate, Jean-Pierre Moustier, to read the consecration. In July, the officials donned their ceremonial robes and led a public procession from the Basilica of Notre-Dame-de-la-Garde to the altar. Church bells pealed, and the local garrison's cannons boomed as the procession went to the newly constructed altar. The bishop met them, holding a gleaming monstrance containing the Blessed Sacrament. The consecration was offered. Immediately, the plague began to abate. By September, the city was plague-free. Such examples are just some of the many marvels found in the history of the Church. Imagine the results if the modern Church were to reread these great stories of deliverance and take them to heart. However, it is only through prayer, penance, and pardon that such scenes will again occur. Unfortunately, most people only have recourse to God when reduced to great suffering. When the God of science fails, one can then hope that many will return to the true God and implore His help and protection. And God will once again deliver the nation. This is the end of The Wisdom and Purpose of Suffering. Thank you so much for listening. In times of great confusion, Return to Order, of which this podcast is only a part, strives to be a source of clarity. We hope that this podcast fulfills that end. The prayers of our listeners are especially appreciated. To read these or find related articles, please visit our websites at www.tfp.org and www.returntoorder.org. If you have benefited from this podcast, we ask that you subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. In that way, you can help Return to Order be more effective. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2020 by American Society for Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.